Welcome to the APM podcast. APM is the chartered body for the project profession. My name is Emma DeVita and I'm the editor of Project, APM's quarterly journal and your host. Today I'm speaking to Nico Vincent, subsea project manager of the Endurance 22 expedition that on the 5th of March this year found the wreck of Endurance, Sir Ernest Shackleton's ship which sank off the coast of Antarctica 107 years ago. The wreckage was discovered at a depth of 3,008 metres, around four miles south of where it was reported to have been lost by Frank Worsley, Endurance's captain, in 1915. Endurance 22 set off from Cape Town in February this year with a team of 63 people plus the crew aboard the South African icebreaker Agulhas 2. The expedition has reportedly cost around £7.6 million. In this podcast, Nico explains how the project team used Saab Sabretooth hybrid underwater search vehicles to find the shipwreck, one of the most complex subsea projects ever undertaken. He's spent 30 years recovering deep sea wrecks and gives us his project management insights on what it takes to prepare for a once in a lifetime project like this, how it feels to see such a piece of history and the lessons he takes away from this successful project. Welcome, Nico. Thank you for giving us your time. Really interested in finding out more about Endurance 22. Would you like to start by giving us an overview of the project, what what its mission was, the goals, deliverables, milestones, how long you've been working on this? The purpose of Endurance 22 was to uh, discover uh, the wreck of the Endurance, lost in 1915 by uh, the expedition led by uh, Sir Ernest Shackleton, and uh, then to uh, deliver a full survey of the wreck to allow uh, science analysis for for the next decades because it's so much complicated to go there. Can you tell us where it where where it is? So which so it's in the Antarctic, but can you just describe the conditions there? Well, it is in the uh, Weddell Sea, which is one of the most complicated uh, sea of the world because uh, there is a lot of ice, uh, sea ice on this area, and they are quite unpredictable. And this is something which have been generate a lot of issue, by the way. So, which generate the reason why this wreck was the most complicated uh, to find. Um, not because uh, she was really lost, but um, the access to the area is so so, so complicated. So I have been in charge to lead all operation as soon as the vessel arrived on site. Um, the trust asked to join Cheers, uh, the expedition leader, to lead above the surface and me to drive all operation under the sea. Uh, however, to run operation plan, I was obliged to control surface support as well. So it was including vessel navigation, helicopter flight plan, ice camp strategy and all of the department requests like science and media, for example because the media and the education was quite important for this project. The project primary task, as I just mentioned, was to locate the endurance. But as the wreck is protected by the Antarctic Treaty, we have been forbid to touch anything. So we needed to produce high-resolution survey of the wreck to allow science and archaeologists to produce science report. The project schedule uh, for me uh, started in February 2019, when the previous expedition lost uh, the AUV, uh, Autonomous Underwater Vehicle, on site, and I have been immediately contacted to build a new solution. So over two years, I suggested uh, some option 
and that finally conducted me to appoint uh, as project manager on August 20. So the first step has been to launch uh, the manufacturing of the Sabertooth, the HayUV. Yeah, tell us more about Sabertooth. Well, the Sabertooth is a vehicle uh, which is able to join 3000 meters. Um, it's an, an AUV uh, which is manufactured by Saab uh, in Sweden. And, and, and the main reason why we choose that vehicle is because um, it's quite a versatile one. It might be tethered or not. And usually uh, this kind of vehicle is fully uh, autonomous and flying fully autonomous underwater. But for this project, we ask it to use a tethered one because this is a lesson learned from 2019 uh, which was to keep a permanent control and it anticipate emergency assets and incident and that's really a game changer under highs. So you started work on this project three years ago in the wake of a previous um, attempt to rediscover um, endurance so can you explain just give an overview of those three years. What did that involve? So I imagine I heard there were trials in France for the technology. Like how much, I imagine 90% of that time was actually preparing. Yeah, it has been a, lo a long way um, uh, because um, I started to build the vehicle uh, in, in September 20. And um, I led the, uh, the manufacturing from scratch uh, up to uh, up to September uh, 21. It, it was almost a year. But as well, in December 20, I started to build as well the high scam solution because the trust asked it to be ready for any option compatible with any condition of ice. We were not sure of what kind of ice we may face. So we were not sure that we may access to the area, to the field with the vessel. So a solution uh, using uh, ice camp was ready. Then in spring 21, I started to assemble all procedures to complete full scope of work because scope of work has to be ready for uh, six months before the operation. It was ready for August 21. And uh, in September 21, we started um, we started the um, the F80, uh, the F80 uh, of the vehicle, and the extended trials because we got so much pedals, so much sensors on the vehicle that we asked at extended trials. Then we came in France, as you just mentioned, in October 21, to conduct deep sea trials. Purpose of the deep sea trials was to send the vehicle at the maximum depths that we were, would have on on the field and be ready to have anticipate any failure that the vehicle may suffer. And finally, we got ice uh, ice operation simulations in October 21 as well. Uh, we tried uh, to deploy ice camp uh, on um, on a synthetic ice. It has been quite fun, <laughs> and we uh, as well deploy uh, our launch and recovery ice launch and recovery system over barge uh, to look at if we are able to launch the vehicle. Because you have to keep in mind that <clears throat> to reduce time to drill the ice, which might be up to five meter thickness, we make the decision to build a huge uh, drill hogger that we build from scratch as well. And to reduce time of drilling, we make the decision to launch the vehicle vertically. So you have to imagine that we have a vehicle which is the size and the weight of your own car. And we got the, um, and our procedures were to move it 
uh, up to two, me two meters from the ground, move it vertically and launch it through five meter high thickness. So all of this require a lot of engineering. And then we have to recover it in the opposite way, if you see my point. So finally we make all these trials and uh, we send all equipment in, um, in South Africa in December 21, mobilizing in, uh, in January 22 uh, in South Africa in Cape Town and left uh, early February 22. And must add that <coughs> COVID-19 has been a real interference on this plan, um, mainly on shipment and procurement, which because global shortage was everywhere. So it's generated so much, so much interference to manage. Well, well each, each project must be so unique and so rare and so complex that you have to come with an open mind that, that can find creative solutions or be innovative. Or I, I guess you have to have that mindset, that approach to work on a project like this? Absolutely. And Endurance 22 is a good example of that. I spent a year to build procedures, scope of work, task plan, survey planning, deployment on ice, helicopter flight plans, time computing, schedules. And finally, uh, the reason why I was on board is because um, we were all open that nothing will be run as expected. Uh, the, the, the condition, the environmental condition on site are so complicated that you, you cannot anticipate all, all, all scenarios. Even if you have many ideas of what you will suffer, <laughs> if I may say that word, uh, yeah, uh, you cannot anticipate everything. And it has been the real reason why I have been on board, because usually in the subsea industry, the project managers stay in the office and you have a straight link with what we call the, the offshore manager. And the offshore manager is just uh, make, the, make the work offshore. Here, the complexity uh, of the variables that we faced made the obligation that I was on board. So, as I like to say, I was working with my offshore manager, uh, which were on the next door. But uh, as I like to say, I, I was still ruling, ruled the plan and he was uh, run the plan. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> But so, okay. And when you, I'm, I'm interested because you must have had a team that reported to you. How big was that team, or, or was it just a couple of people? For Endurance Twenty Two, uh, we were sixteen. Sixteen. Okay, so you were leading a team of sixteen. How do you create a team around you for this kind of project that is? cohesive that can react to the unexpected is there any so i guess what i'm at trying to understand is how do you lead a project team that that has to be innovative that has to think on its feet that has to deal with the unexpected the, the team that i chosen was uh chosen for several reasons um the first one is their skills of course we got uh, the requirement to have several uh, different skills for these people. But in addition, I work with the same kind of people since quite a long time, almost 20 years. And the reason of that is that because we have some uh, relationship which is extremely strong each other. And all these people, they are 
aware and they are and this is a normal way for them uh, to work on this kind of project where you have to be very very close to each other and the consequence of that is that most of these people are like a family and and, and this is a culture which is quite important for us um, because usually again on the subsea industry all skills or expertise are really disconnected from from each other and people have a strong task, very important task, and they do not look at what the, the others do. Um, when you are doing projects like this, this is the opposite. People are, have to be very strong relationship between each other and the, le the leadership is switching from a guy to the other according to expertise. But whatever is the work, everybody is working hand by hand. Okay? So that means that uh, your boss of the morning, because you drive, uh, you drive an AUV, can become your um, your support in the afternoon because you do electronics. So and this is with that way something that allowing to build a very very strong strong relationship between people. And even if our chain of command is quite uh, strong, uh, the people have a lot of um, of freedom inside the team because they know that when we will call their expertise they will have free hands so so that's building a very very strong relationship okay um are you a trained project manager do you have project management qualifications <laughs> that's a good question <laughs> and the answer is no <laughs> i thought i thought that might be so have you how have you learned the project management side of things I started my career in a French company called Comex, which at that time was uh, the world leader in the subsea industry, more, more especially in oil and gas. And uh, the, the culture of the of the company w was to to look at each people individually and push them on their level of expertise. Apparently, I got uh, some leading uh, skills immediately, which have been detect and I have been pushed on that way and I, and I follow the internal uh, training in the company to to step after step okay and then the company has been absorbed by another group and the group became higher and higher and higher uh, and, and called now subsea 7 which is one of the most important uh, subsea contractor of the world so you learn you learn from the company and from the project and that is it has been my path uh, and I must admit I never follow any training and never follow any educational for that i have been always uh, learning on my own project after project and what have you been your biggest lessons from about project management how to manage projects i think that more especially on the project that i do because which is which are unusual one or special one uh, you have to keep uh, what what is the final goal and when you know what is the final goal, you have to involve your team to this final goal, and you have to uh, to to drive them to have to keep in mind this final goal uh, on their own level of expertise, which is all part of the project. And you must always keep open mind and always be extremely versatile to absorb any unexpected that you have to manage to keep that goal. I tell you that because special subsidy projects can be quite different. For example, I am the consultant from from the French air investigation for any uh, uh, aircraft incident in intra deep water. <coughs> okay, w when you have this kind of jobs, it's extremely different 
than uh, searching the endurance or searching uh, submarine for navies because my team found as well uh, the Harrison one they found the submarine Miner from the French Navy uh, which has been lost since, since 1968 and when when you focus on this kind of project the expectation of of, of the client, if I may say so, it might be quite different. So to, to keep the goal is quite important. Actually, could you give us an idea of what it was like to be on deck and, and, and how you, what's it like to be in a project team at such, such close quarters and under such pressure? What, what's that like as a project leader to manage? And, and what, are the, what are the challenges? The, the advantage when you work with recurrent people is that you know you know them, they know you, but as well they know each other. That's allowing to have um, automatic balance that you do not have to manage. Okay, so and and when you are in a di difficult constraint, as you just mentioned, uh, which is that we live all together during months and months, which is something normal for us because we do that. All, all the year but uh, it, for for endurance 22 in addition we were on an icebreaker and we were on, on a polar area which is quite unusual for us so we have been obliged to adapt ourselves to the other people for example we got a lot of scientists on board the vessel how many people on the vessel the expedition team was 65 and the crew 45 oh sorry 63 not 65 <laughs> and um, subsea, subsea department was 16 but uh, we got as well a full team of helicopter uh, pilot and technician uh, we got uh, a full science team which conducted additional science in parallel of uh, in CMOPs with our operations and we got as well a full uh, media team which make a lot of, uh, of shootings to build a documentary all of this have to have to be layer on top of what we do usually. So here the challenge was to manage you know, our usual activities with all these people for who is not uh, something normal. And uh, and it's from time to time, this has generated quite differences because these people, um, they, they come offshore one or two times per year. Uh, and the opposite, we are offshore the full year, so like, like the crew. Uh, and so um, we have to adapt uh, all ourselves uh, to, to, to work together. But the life on board is quite between each other. It's, it, it's quite something that we are ready for. We, we run watch of 12 hours on 12 hours off, for example. Okay? So the full team is organized to work 12 hours per day. Uh, on the, on the, um, on endurance 22, most of the guy made huge overtime. Not because only we got issues the first days, but because they loved what they do. Okay, so even if we face several equipment failure, uh, even if we have an incident, even if uh, it's not working properly, even if it's hard, even if they are cold, uh, if you are able to to work on something which is so much exciting and attractive, the people respond on their own more especially if they like each other. 
I'm not sure if he's replying to the, your initial question. No. <laughs> no, this is all very interesting because you're all highly motivated. I think actually the obvious question to ask is when you first found the wreck, what did can you talk us through what it was like to actually to to see it and and was it what you imagined or what 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 did it feel like? We're searching the um the wreck by side scan sonar. It, it's a device which um, looking at the seabed by an acoustic pulse, each side, each side of the vehicle. So it's reproducing a seabed imagery, which is equal for this project at uh, almost a mice, a channel of, of almost a, a one nautical mice. And uh, on these uh, images, you can recognize rocks, sand, mud, and wreck. So it's quite detailed. Yeah, and, and you need very, very skilled people to, uh, to, to analyze images because this is it's sonar images, not video. Let me explain. It's like if you're flying on an aircraft on the, on the desert, okay, and with the, the sun which is coming down, you can find what is high of the, of the dune thanks to the length of the shadow. Okay, so that's exactly the same, that, except that we do not using light, but, but acoustics. So it's with shadows and lengths of shadows that you may say if you are find a wreck, a rock, or something else. Here, on, on Endurance 22, the first hit gave, it, gave us a lot of joys. Mainly as because it was so close to the Captain Worsley initial position. But finally, it was only a debris. And not the full ship. Full vessel on the uh, Agulas 2. Everybody was extremely excited. So, but unfortunately, it was a deception because just debris of the wreck. So when we found the wreck on the second hit, I pressurized the team to stay very concentrated, very professional, and very quiet. <laughs> <laughs> so uh, I said to them, I want everybody extremely quiet until we have not only a sonar hit, but a visual confirmation on the video camera. Because you have to fly with the vehicle, come back, make a second sonar hint in sonar resolution, and then finally come back with, to, to fly on it for the video um, shooting. So we got at least two hours between the first sonar hit and the video confirmation. So that must have been the slowest two hours of your life, probably, at work. <laughs> absolutely. <laughs> but the guys, the guys was absolutely sure. Yeah, I got the, a sonar analyst uh, on, on my side, and this sonar analyst is maybe one of the top five in the world in, in, in sonar analyzing, and I was looking at his eyes and his smile, so I was quite sure. <laughs> but um, when we got the first video uh, shooting, footage uh, it was an accomplishment and a, and a great relief and, and believe me we saw the wreck maybe 22 seconds and I said okay go up <laughs> and then but the reason why is that we were pushing the batteries I, I was asking to the IUV uh, Sabato spy that I want to see the, with the camera I want to and he was already saying I'm, I'm low batteries I'm low batteries I'm low batteries <laughs> so uh, the first first footage was very very short but it, it was absolutely absolutely amazing how into the wreck could you go could you just see in terms of the video just the outside or could you go right into the wreck for endurance 22 
our uh, package of payload, including cameras, was not allowing to look inside. However, we got 4K still camera georeferenced, which will allowing uh, to produce a absolutely wonderful uh, 3D model like a photogrammetry. In addition, we got laser leader, which will allow us to have a photogrammetry which will have one millimeter resolution. But to going inside the rack, we will need to come back with extra devising. Is that is that a plan? Can you do that? Is that something that might happen? Well, plenty of people asked me the question already. And, and my answer is yes, I have a plan. <laughs> so I try to always have a plan, <laughs> you know, uh, because that, that's that's a purpose. And to come back on project management like this is when you face uh, difficulties, you have in your brain to have already two or three plans ready for, for the next issue. Personally, would have been the highs and the lows so I guess by lows, I mean the probably maybe the most stressful times or the, the hardest times of working on Endurance 22. I is, of course, a discovery. Lows are a very long list. Have you an extra five hours? <laughs> we could do a part two, yeah. <laughs> each, each dive was a stressful time, okay? You, you have to keep in mind that the previous team lost uh, the vehicle after two dives. Okay, so my goal was not only to find endurance, but to come back with my vehicle. Okay, we got eight emergencies and over 32 dives. Um, but seeing the vehicle back on deck after last, last dive with full scope accomplished has been an extremely good time. <laughs> Believe me, uh, it has been the most, most ice time for me because it was an achievement. We made it. <laughs> Okay, and we made it without failure. So for me, frankly, the, the discovery is a high point, but uh, complete the job with everything on board without any incident and with all people in good in good uh, health has been very good as well. And more especially because they face the, the worst condition, the worst condition. You have to imagine that we got uh, minus 22 with 35 knots of wind, which is equivalent to minus 40 degrees. The equipment was freezing on deck. The people was absolutely freezing on deck. They never said nothing. They, 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 they accomplished uh, a huge, great work. And I am very proud about them. And uh, uh, you must imagine that it was so cold. It generated so much issue that we called the guys from the highest camp and they helped us to build tent on the vessel back deck with with heater with heater on it to to keep our equipment uh, warm enough to to dive otherwise they, they was freezing and we got we got issues and uh, we spending time to repair before dive it has been extremely complicated so the the the, the people um, achievement is huge what would have been the lessons that you've learned on this mission that you will then apply to other other projects that you work on? Again, there is a lot of lesson learned. Uh, the main reason is that it has been a world record. The seabed survey over fixed location under under drafting heights is a world record. We invent 
almost everything from scratch. So, so the lesson learned over polar environment is a huge list, huge one. Ne nobody made that before. You have to keep in mind that until now, people doing AUV on the highs was launching on a point, okay, and got a, a recovery point already prepared. It's uh, and that's the reason why the Canadian people had a, a world record on this. Uh, but uh, on our side, we were launching uh, on a position which is optimized to cover a fixed location, and then we drift with ice. So the, the recovery point was unknown. We were not able to anticipate where we will recover the vehicle. And from time to time, we were up to four nautical miles from the launch point. And all of this to make it work has been invented. And, and the lesson learned uh, from this is absolutely huge. And the consequences on lesson learned on the project management is as well extremely huge. If there was one project management lesson that you would want to share what that was because you've been doing this for 30 years and still you're learning still you're learning about how to run projects like this manage lead is there is there one lesson in particular that springs to mind i need to remember um, a warning said by uh sir ernest shackleton himself he said um difficulties uh, are just things to overcome after all have you ever met a challenge that just you thought this is I can't I just there's no way around this. I think for endurance twenty two, as soon as we arrived on ice, uh, I was sure that the helicopter deployment was impossible, uh, and I spent a lot of time and work on this. Uh, but as soon as we the, the, the icebreaker start to arrive on ice, I, I understood straight away that helicopter deployment uh, was too much complicated by the reason that the environmental condition was not allowing the volume of flight that I expected to install a camp. So that must have been a big blow. Well, I kept thinking across that the condition would allow us uh, to, to join the field with the vessel. And, uh, and I came immediately to the, to the conclusion that uh, even if we spent a lot of time, procedures and, uh, and, and money uh, to be ready to deploy from highs, uh, deploying from ice to discover the endurance would be almost impossible by lack of time because to, to, to install a camp you have to understand that the vehicle weight only the vehicle weight is 1.7 tons okay and the, and the initial maximum capabilities of a cargo flight of the helicopter was 1.5 tons so I was obliged to install on ice 13 tons of equipment to manage this vehicle plus the people, plus the safety, plus the consumable. And when you, you, you add all of this, the, the flight plan was so much complicated that aircraft was on air almost 24 hours, seven. And when we arrive on site, the first thing that the pilot said that, sorry guys, but uh, I will maybe fly three to seven hours per day maximum. So this, this has been a disappointment because uh, it was, complicated so did you have a plan b for that or did how did you then so resolve this because that that's a big part of the plan that's now out the window we optimized the ship uh displacement on ice and uh it and it has been quite uh it has been quite a success and uh, we anticipated 
to have a, a, a team from Germany um, from the company Drift and Noise which came on board with um, satellite radar images and uh, and ice drift forecasts okay and and this data has been the real game changer which are allowing us uh, to be extremely uh, efficient on on the ship movement and we we work very very close with the germans guys and the and the ship ice pilot we for one of the first time of his career got access to this very accurate data and uh, it's uh, allowing us to optimize the ship movement to be always where we need to be and how to go to the next point and that is something which is quite important to explain due to the ice condition if you want to go from point a to point b you can have a straight line on ice you have to find a channel between uh, sea ice which might be quite deep which which is best route to arrive uh, where you need to go so it, it has been extremely extremely successful and uh, the ice condition plus all these works which have been in place over the project management as allowing a very very good efficiency uh, what what a fantastic way to end the podcast um I want to thank you again for your time and congratulations on the success of the project. Thank you so much for your time. Thank you so much. Thanks again to Nico for joining us and to you for listening to this episode of the APM podcast. Don't forget to look out for more episodes in this series or to rate and review us wherever you get your podcasts. You'll find us on Spotify, Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts and more. We'd welcome you to get in touch with your comments, feedback and suggestions by emailing us at apmpodcast at thinkpublishing.co.uk. This podcast has been brought to you by APM, the chartered body for the project profession. For more information on APM, visit apm.org.uk.